This breakout session with Eric Sandor was recorded at Davis Tent, San Diego, 2019. You know, what I felt the Lord wanted me to do is share some stories with you. And, you know, they're not bedtime stories. They're, they're like sunrise, good morning stories. They're wake-up stories for us to share as a family, the family of, of David's tent, uh, because we very much feel David's tent is a family, and it's one of the unique things about David's tent is it. It feels like a family. So this is sort of family story time. Uh, and I want to tell you a bit about our family, this family that you've joined to start with. When I, when I talk about our family, about David's tent, I talk about intimacy, pleasure, and unity. The David's tent community is full of people who want intimacy with Jesus. You know, a lot of people talk about the presence of God and we want to be in his presence. And when I heard that language, it kind of bothered me. I said to the Lord, you know, of course I want to be with you, but that's not the way I talk about you, that I want your presence. And I thought, I want to be intimate with you. And I shared with other members of the David's Tent family that, that maybe this language wasn't helpful to talk about his presence. Because I might talk about being in the king's presence, someone I don't really know, but I wouldn't talk about being in my wife's presence. I'd just talk about being with my wife, being with my family, my father. And I realized that at the Last Supper, all the disciples were in Jesus' presence, weren't they? They were in the room with Jesus. But John pursued intimacy with Jesus. John got over to Jesus, leaned his head on his chest. He said, oh, love you so much, Jesus. And he sat there, and he listened to Jesus' heartbeat, and he rested there. He enjoyed intimacy with Jesus. So you can be in God's presence but the David's Tent family, your family that you've now joined, we're a group of people who desire that intimacy, who pursue intimacy with Jesus. We get very close to him, and we allow him to embrace us and heal those inner parts that need to be mended and restored. And you know, I love the way John would call himself the one who Jesus loved. You, you, you'll see it. Whenever John wrote the Bible, he said, the one who Jesus loved. That must have really irritated the other disciples, you know? He's like, you love me too? What are you talking about, the one? But the point, the point is really significant. Because you see, when you enjoy that intimacy with Jesus, with God the Father, you feel like his favorite. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and it was obvious to everyone. And when he received the multicolored coat, he swaggered around with that coat. Boy, did he wear the coat. 
He's like, I'm my daddy's favorite. And his brothers hated it. But you know what happened to Joseph after he had that revelation that he was his daddy's favorite? That's when he started to dream. He didn't dream until he wore the coat. Wearing the coat is really possessing that truth that you're your father's favorite. It will set you free to dream in a way you never have. It will unlock hidden desires in your heart that you haven't dared let surface. Be the one who Jesus loves. Let that be your story. You know, my best friend, his name is Ty. His mother is over there, and his, his late wife, Jutian, is over there. And I used to say to Ty, you know, Ty, I'm God's favorite. And I would only say this to Ty because I knew it would kind of upset other people, and I knew that Ty really had a deep revelation of this too. And he'd look back at me and he'd say, I know, so am I. See, when you have the revelation, you want other people to have it too. It's not like I'm better than you. There's none of that in it. It's that knowing that you're so highly favored, that he would move mountains for you. He will chase you down. There is nowhere you can go to get away from him. He is fiercely committed to you. If you're a shepherd, your job is to keep the sheep safe, right? And yet, Jesus tells us he's the good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He'll look after the sheep. But he says, if I'm with 99 and I discover I've lost one, I'm going to leave the 99 to go find the one. That doesn't sound like good business, does it? <laughs> I mean, that sounds reckless. I'm going to leave 99. I've got, they're safe. You know, I'm going to lose some. I'll, okay. It's just sort of the, the losses you're going to incur in this business. No. Jesus says, no, that's not who I am. I am fiercely committed. That one that's lost, I will search the mountains. I will dig my way through the brush. I will find that one. And I'll carry it back. He leaves the 99 for the one. He chases you down. He's fiercely committed to you. You are his favorite. And as the David's Tent family, we pursue that intimacy with the Lord Jesus. We're not satisfied with a feeling of, oh, I can feel the Spirit. You know, that's great. That's an invitation. Come a little further. Come a little closer. I always want to be closer with Jesus. Jesus, I want to run with you. I'm going to chase after you and run with you. I'm going to match your commitment to me to chase after me by chasing after you. I want more of you, Jesus, and I want intimacy with you. That's the first thing about our family. It's intimacy. The second thing about being a part of the David's Tent family is pleasure. When we worship the Lord, it's pleasurable. It was intended to be that way. The Psalms talk about delighting ourselves in the Lord. And it says 
those who delight themselves in the Lord will receive the desires of their heart. Did you know that? A lot of people know the verse that he'll give you the desires of your heart, but they have no idea of the precondition. The psalm says he will give the desires of your heart to you if you delight in the Lord. It also says if you delight in the Lord, though you stumble, you won't fall. He'll, he'll keep your, your steps sure. Delighting in the Lord is a greatly pleasurable thing. You know, in, in Revelations, the elders are continuously casting down their crowns. And they're continuously casting them down because the Lord picks the crown up again and puts it on their heads. It's this cycle. So the Lord says, he puts a crown on your head, says, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you so much. I, I, I delight in you, the Lord says. And then we say, my goodness, I can't bear this. No, I'm not worthy. Lord, you're so amazing. I love you. We throw the crown down. Say, everything you gave me, I want to give back to you. We throw it down. And we're having this pleasure. And he says, oh my goodness, my son. Oh, you've thrown your crown down. I want to put it back on your head. This is who you are. This is who I say you are. And it's this pleasure go round. It's this cycle of, wow, I'm delighting myself in you, Lord. I'm feeling your delight over me. And it's, it's this mutual love and delight that takes place. God designed it to be pleasurable. And pleasure is why, you know, it's what attracts people to come and worship for 72 hours. Have you been getting pleasure in your worship? Yeah. We're unashamed about that. Unashamed. It was designed to be like that. It's pleasurable to enjoy God's goodness. We, we experience a little portion of the pleasure that we will enjoy in heaven forever, magnified, multiplied out. It's pleasurable to, to just say how amazing God is. And as we do so, he says how amazing we are. We, we delight in each other. And so this is the family you're a part of, a family that just enjoys delighting ourselves in the Lord. The third thing about our family, the David's Tent family, is unity. You know, um, at David's Tent in the UK, we get such a diversity of, of Christian backgrounds and denominations and faiths and practices all coming together. You will see uh, people walking around in monk habits, a few of them amongst you know, wild variations of, of folks. And, and all these streams come together in the church, come together as one body to just lift up the name of Jesus. You know, if anyone ever starts to tell you, oh, we can't have unity with them because they believe X, Y, or Z, unity is this. You can have unity with anyone who says, Jesus is Lord, and Savior. That's what unites us. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is Savior. Those are the two things. 
we all, that's what gives us unity with every, every Christ follower, every believer. And unity, when we hear about unity, we think, well, is it, is it just like a nice thing? Is it important to have unity? Um, he's, and the Lord's really spoken to us about this. Uh, firstly, we know in, in John 17, Jesus prayed for all of us. He prayed for his disciples first, and then he said, now I'm going to pray for those who are going to come after these, these disciples who are going to believe in me. I'm going to pray for them. And his prayer was that we would be one. That was his prayer, that we would be one as he and the Father were one, this indivisible union of the body of Christ. When Jesus was praying, he was prophesying because he couldn't pray outside the will of God. That, that was a prophecy. The church will be one because he prayed it in John 17. It's his heart for us. He could have prayed anything for us. He could have said, may they all be good people. <laughs> he could have prayed any number of things for us. But his heart's cry was that we would be one. And then you might think, well, why? Why is it important? And there are quite a few reasons why this is important. We're a body, and you've all heard about how a body has many parts, right? And if you're a hand and they're a foot, you don't say, oh, why am I this boring hand? I'd really rather be a foot. You know, the, the Bible tells us that's a kind of a crazy way to think like that. You're, you're one body, and each part has to do its work. You know, Ephesians 4.16 says, the body builds itself up in love as each part does its work, and that every supporting ligament is needed. I'm going to return to this idea of the body a little bit later. Or maybe I'll just talk about it now. As a member of the body, you need others around you. You need each other to become you. To become the person God intends you to be, you need others with you. And you know what? For them to become the person they're meant to be, they need you to be you. To be you, not a copy of somebody else. It's, as we grow, it's totally normal and good for us to respect people and admire people and, and even to copy people and to try on that on our journey to finding out who we are. That's a really good process. It's a process of filtering and identifying attributes that we, that we like and that we respect. But what we must be careful of is never to think that those attributes, those little things that we wear, because they're almost like outfits that we try on, those things that we wear don't define us, actually. They're part of the journey to defining and finding out who we are. When the Israelites were faced with the promised land, and they sent in their 12 tribes, a representative from each tribe, and two representatives, Caleb and Joseph, came back and they said, let's go take the land. They were bold and they were unafraid. 
And every tribe had a discrete portion of the promised land. Did you know that? Each of them knew which portion of the land was going to be theirs. And I thought about it. You know, there's 12 of them, and 10 of them don't want to go. (laughs) They're giants in the land. They're going to kill us. So, no. God may have promised us the land, but no. We can't do it. Well, why couldn't Joshua and Caleb take their portions for their tribes? Because they were up for it. God said, it has to be a corporate act. You all have to join in unity and stack hands to grab hold of this promised land. The promised land for us as believers today are all the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? I I couldn't number the promises that there are. But I want to tell you a story about how I grabbed hold of one of these promises and how God gave me this amazing revelation about how when we grab hold of promises, it changes who we are. And how, as a member of the body, when I grab hold of promises and become the person I'm meant to be, I'm able to help other people around me become the people they're meant to be. And the people around me are helping me become who I'm meant to be. And that's the way we become the family we're supposed to be, the community we're supposed to be. Your local churches can't become who God wants them to be without you doing your part, without you becoming you. My, uh, my wife passed away from cancer about just under three years ago. It was her birthday on Friday. When I discovered she had cancer in 2013, uh, I was a wreck. I I was so afraid that she was going to die. And I was praying to the Lord, fearing the future. And the Lord said to me, Eric, the future is not written. You write the future through your prayers. You write the future through your words, through your actions. He said, Emma could live or Emma could die. And I kind of felt it was like, so what are you going to do about it? (laughs) And I thought, well, I'm going to (laughs) pray. And I'm going to get everybody else to pray. And I'm going to get them to gather around me. And we're going to pray together. And shortly after that, I got a few friends, about five men, to join with me one morning. And I started this Friday morning men's prayer group, which still goes now. And these five guys were standing around with me, and I was crying. I closed my eyes, and I got an image of these hills in the distance. It was like a sunset, purple sky over hills. And I was reminded of Psalm 121. And I said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Because I needed help. And then the rest says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I felt a boldness. I felt like he's my helper. And then out of my belly came a roar. And I had never had an experience like this before. I had never 
kind of shouted in prayer or done anything like this, out of my belly came a roar. And I said, no weapon formed against me can prosper. And I felt depression. I felt oppression fly away from me. And I felt like the sky full of clouds kind of unrolled. And I felt free. And I thought, wow, what was that? And my friend next to me said, Eric, before you started quoting Psalm 121, I had just opened Psalm 121 in my Bible. And I thought, thank God I get some confirmation that I'm not losing my mind. (laughs) But that's a promise of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. The promise is true, like the hundreds of other promises that there are in Christ Jesus for us as believers. The promise wasn't true of me until I stepped into the authority God had given me and I grabbed hold of that promise. And I realized no weapon formed against me can prosper. I'm the guy, no weapon formed against me can prosper. That's who I am. I am that guy. I've been that guy since that moment. And from that moment, I'll tell you honestly, and you probably won't believe me, I have no fear. Zero fear. I'm not going to be afraid of anything. And I totally understand Psalm Psalm 23. That when David said it, and as a kid, we we I grew up in a Christian household, and we were made to memorize this, and it was like a poem. It was like this wimpy little poem I read and learned when I was six years old, talking about shepherds and pastures, and I'm not going to be afraid. And I was like, no. The way Psalm 23 is, David's saying, even though death is hanging over me, I'm not going to be afraid of anything. That's how he's saying it. It's a boldness. It's a fierceness. Because it's a battle, folks. It's a battle where we have to step into our authority and grab hold of promises. And as we do, our identity is formed. I became the man no weapon formed against me can prosper. Now, that doesn't mean I won't lose stuff. And it doesn't mean I won't get hurt and fall down and fail. What it means is I will always get up. I will always heal. I will always grow stronger because that's not the end of the story. The end of my story is victory and overcoming and conquering the enemy in my life. And we're all invited to this, to be overcomers in God's family, to grab hold of these promises for ourselves. You know, Charles Spurgeon was this incredible preacher in the 1800s And he said, a promise of God may very instructively be compared to a bank check. If someone gives you a check, it's payable to you. And if you look at it and read it over and then think, that sounds nice. Million dollar check. (laughs) Very nice. And then I put it on the table and I walk away from it. That's how we read the Bible sometimes. He's saying, look, if someone gives you a check, a blank check with a big figure on it, you're first going to put your name on it. (laughs) This is mine. All right, I'm going to grab this and I'm going to say it's mine. And then I'm going to bring it to Heaven's Bank. 
and I'm going to say, this is a promise, and it's for me. I want it. It's mine. And Charles Spurgeon says, and if you've come at the right time, when that check is payable, heaven's bank will pay immediately. And if it's not yet the time, you wait patiently, and it'll come. You'll get paid in due time. But if you don't write your name on the check, and you don't take it to the bank, if you just read the check and think that's a promise out there for all believers, and you don't take possession of it, Charles Spurgeon says, you get nothing. You don't get the promise just because it's written down. If someone promises you a house and gives you a house, you have to move into it, live in it, take possession of it, like Joseph wearing that coat. You've got to take ownership of it, and then it becomes part of your identity. And if you don't, we get nothing. And so much of the church is getting nothing because we're not grabbing hold of these promises. And there's so many of these promises that we have to grab hold of. Now, when I grabbed hold of that one promise and it came to define me as the man, no weapon formed against me can prosper, I needed my friends with me. I wouldn't have become the man I needed to be and the man God wanted me to be unless my friends were with me. The body being one and taking the promised land are intimately related. You see, I grabbed hold of a little piece of the promised land. You might know that the Israelites took, took the promised land eventually, incrementally, piece by piece. We take hold of these promises of God one by one. That's mine. It's in my pocket forever. Let's find the next one. Let's find the next one. And we grow into the men and women God intends us to be. But as I became different, as I became the man, no weapon formed against me can prosper, I can help my friends in the church become who they're meant to be. And see, this is how the body builds itself up in love. We get built into the people we're meant to be as each of us is grabbing hold of little pieces of the promised land. Being one is essential for taking the promised land. The Israelites couldn't do it separately. They had to join forces and corporately, in unity, take the promised land. And it's a picture of the church. When there's unity, we can grab hold of promises that we can't grab hold of on our own. Some promises we can get on our own. They're individual things. But some promises of God, I'm convinced, and many others are convinced, can only be unleashed and grabbed hold of with unity. And that's why, that's why the unity here at David's Tent in San Diego is so significant. Because together, we're storming heaven, and we're saying, we want this promise for the city of San Diego, for our friends. And it's only as we unite together and have unity that we can take hold of some of those promises. So being one is hugely important. And stepping into that authority. And you know, that experience helped me with the battle that came with my wife for the next year as we fought for her life. 
to get rid of this cancer. And, and she, she beat the cancer after the, the year. And then we had a wonderful year of being together as a family. And then a third year, when some markers in her blood started to show that the cancer was coming. And the, she was being very closely monitored by the doctors who were assuring us, don't worry. And then she passed away very quickly in a couple of weeks, kind of without, without really much warning. And I had become this fierce lion <laughs> through this experience. <laughs> you know, once you, once you have a deep revelation that no weapon formed against you can prosper, you want to fight to get everybody free. You know, when you get free, you realize your freedom is not just to cast off your own chains, it's to set other people free. Nelson Mandela said that. Nelson Mandela also said, to get free, you need to see free people. Because when he got let out of prison after 27 years, he was like, I think like a prisoner. I've, I've, been, I've been given the freedom to be free, but I'm not free. And he realized the only way he was going to get free and to feel free was to be around people who were really free. And then he could grab hold of it from them. It's also a picture of the body, isn't it? We need each other to get free. So I'd become this roaring lion, declaring, <laughs> bang, smash. And then I lost my wife. I was crushed. My, my wife and I were married for 20 years, and we went out together for six years before we were married. Uh, she was the love of my life from the age of 18 years old. So this was not an easy loss. In marriage, you grow into each other, like, like two organisms that entwine and twist and grow and become one thing. And in marriage, your spouse becomes a reflection of you, and you become a reflection of them. And I'm the man I am because of my wife. And she was the woman she was because of me. Jason Upton actually quoted, mentioned this in his breakout yesterday, that in the Catholic marriage rite, it's you're participating in the recreation of the other. That's what marriage is. You know, the Holy Spirit and, and you help to build your spouse. And they work with the Holy Spirit to build you. So it was not an easy loss at all. And what I found was, when I lost my wife, I did not lose my worship because I completely knew that this was not God's fault. You know, God doesn't always get his way. Did you know that? That's why you sin. That's why we pray your will be done. He does not always get his way. He gives you freedom along with all the billions of people in the world as well as the billions of demons that he created who rebelled against him, they still have the authority he gave them. Did you know that? They only have authority because they were first angels. And God set up a government. And because God is love, that's his defining characteristic. He's all loving and he's all powerful, but love drives him. 
and rules over every other characteristic and attribute he has. An all-powerful, all-loving God gives power away and he gives freedom because he wants his creation to choose to love him. Without freedom, there is no love. You know, when you're a billionaire, you don't know who your friends are. You don't know if anybody likes you. Do they just like you for your money and what you can do for them? Or do they really like you? It's, it's a quandary. It's a problem for the billionaire. God has that problem multiplied out. Think about it. How does God know? Do you just like him for what he can do for you? Or do you like him for him? So he needs to cloak himself, folks. This is why faith is important. He, he gives us freedom so that we will choose to love him. And when we choose to love him in the hardship, when things do not go our way, when we are suffering and we are hurting and our hearts, when we worship, they just have pain in them. Because I found when I worshiped the Lord and I cracked my heart open in honest worship, all I had there was pain and loss in my heart. And I would share that pain with the Lord. As I cried, I would offer those tears to him. I'd say, come and cry with me and help me and heal me. And as I worshiped him, while I was crying and feeling the pain, he gave me a revelation of how he was wrecked at watching me worship. He was like saying, Eric, I can't even look at you. I'm overwhelmed that you, would sh- that you would love me and praise me even now. And with that revelation of God's love for me, how he was wrecked, that wrecked me. I was like, oh my gosh. You love me so much, you're wrecked. It was like a wreckage circle. He's wrecked and I'm wrecked. And you know, your lives... Anything life presents to you is an opportunity to worship. It's your unique opportunity to worship. In every moment, something happens, you lose something, it's a great opportunity. If anything bad has happened to you recently, if you go and you say, Lord, that hurt, and I'm upset about that, but you are so wonderful, your love never fails. I'll trust you forever. I love you so much. That is such a precious gift of worship to the Lord. That's when the billionaire knows who their friends are. Do you get it? God knows we love him, truly love him. And we know, we know, because it's hard. We can get confused too. We know we truly love him when we'll worship him in the midst of loss, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of the storm. That's this family that you've joined. That's who David's tent is. David's tent family is a family of people. We love the Lord. We are his and he is ours. Nothing's ever gonna change that. Do whatever, take whatever, whatever happens. Nothing's going to change that. No one can take that away from you. You are his. 
and he is yours forever. You know, in heaven, there's no faith because you see God. There's no hope because you got everything. There's only love. Only love will last forever. Love, love is the reason for the universe. God created the universe firstly because he's a creator and he just can't help it. He has great ideas and he creates each of you. But he creates out of that defining characteristic of love. He just can't help it. He created this world of love. And then the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That verse, whosoever believes, the word believes, is this continuous present verb. It's, it doesn't mean whoever thinks it in their mind. It's a, you're believing and you're choosing and you're acting out that belief day by day. You know, in James, the book of James chapter 2 talks all about how faith without action is dead. Faith without works is dead. You can tell me you believe something. You show people what you believe every day by what you do. Your actions reveal your faith. Faith has to be expressed through action. My favorite verse in the Bible is Galatians 5, 16. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what it is to follow Jesus. Your faith compels you to act out of love. That's what we do. Love is the only thing that will last forever in heaven. Love is the reason you were made. You know, why are we here? Because God loves us. What's life for? What is your life for? Your purpose. All of our purpose is to love and to be loved. And we can only love once we're loved. He loves us first. He pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then we can love him back. because We get a taste of that love. And again, that's what happens as we worship. We get a revelation of his love. You were born to love and to be loved. That's why you exist. How should we live? We know from 1 Corinthians 13, if you do anything, you do lots of good stuff, but you don't have love, it's meaningless. So we have to live out our life lovingly. Love is the answer to most of the questions you could come up with. Why? How? What should I do? Express your faith through love. You know, I talked about, and I'll close on this, I talked about um, Matthew 11 uh, last night when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and, or maybe it was the night before, and saying, you know, be like John the Baptist. Be fiery, devoted people who grab hold of the kingdom of heaven, 
who grab hold of these promises like I had that powerful experience that changed me. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is at hand and the type of people who grab hold of it are the passionate, fiery, kind of forceful people who will grab hold of this kingdom, grab hold of the promises. But the other thing he says in that Matthew 11, he says, you know, what can I say about you people here? <laughs> he says, what can I say about this generation? He said, it's like I, I sang a, a funeral song, a dirge, and you didn't mourn. And I sang a little ditty to dance to, and you didn't dance. He's saying, if you're not fiery, like John the Baptist, if you're not responding to the Holy Spirit and where the wind's blowing, you're not responding appropriately. And I feel, I feel this verse in Matthew 11 is really for us as a church, global church right now. Jesus is saying, will you respond appropriately to my extravagant love, to this good shepherd who will leave everybody else to chase after you? How will we respond? And as a David's Tent family, again, part of our DNA, we, we like to respond. We like to respond extravagantly and to, to say how worthy of all of our lives he is and to pour ourselves out for him. All we have to do is to respond. But if we get a taste of this great love, who can help but respond with devotion where we give our lives to him? So I hope you enjoyed me going where the wind blew me today. And um, I wanted to tell you some stories about this family that you're a part of, this DNA that you have. And each of you are going to write stories in your life, your own stories of victory, your own stories of overcoming obstacles and hardship and loss. And those testimonies will set others free. You are the free, and you will set others free. And we will be one body as Jesus prayed, and we will grab hold of the promises of God, and we will become the men and women that God has in mind, and we will change this world, and we will overcome the evil one, and Jesus will be victorious. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Hit subscribe to hear more. And if you want to find out more information about Davis Tent, go to www.davistent.net.